Black Girl in Ohm promotes holistic wellness and inner beauty for women of color. We encourage self-care, self-love, and self-empowerment for communities of color. This is Lauren Ash. And Dion Ivory, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to introduce our phenomenal special guest for today's Creating Space to Expand talk. Ooh, yes. Okay, fan. Just hot. Beautiful. <laughs> My friends, stay ready. That's so beautiful. <laughs> you needed it. It was provided. That is a theme for today. Yes. Beautiful, yes. beautiful. So, um, you know, for, for some of us, we're just like, we know Rachel. We celebrate Rachel. She's everything. I'm going to read a bit about her for those of you who are like, I was invited by a friend. I still don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel Elizabeth Cargill is a public academic, lecturer, and author. Her work centers at the intersection of race and womanhood, where she is building an intellectual legacy through teaching, storytelling, and critical discourse. Whether in her essays for Harper's Bazaar, the TEDx stage, or her large social media platform of more than 300,000 followers, Rachel's work is pushing boundaries and fighting for change. So let's welcome Rachel. So excited to have you. I'm so, I miss you. I miss you. And so I'm so excited to just be sharing time and space with you. Yes. And I think before we like get into it, let's actually share a bit more about how we know each other because I think it's just a special story. It is. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) So what? Two years ago at this point? I think it was two. Yeah. Yeah. Two. Around two years ago, I remember meeting you at Freddie's event. Freddie Harrell's pop-up. Where are you? There she go. Yes, I yes. met Freddie and Lauren the same night. Yeah. Yes. That was that night. So thank you. You <laughs> yeah. were the glue. Yes, you are. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and um, I remember that you walked up to me. Yes, because I'd been following you for a while and I was very excited yes. to meet you. And we took a selfie that we yes. still have. Yes. <laughs> and I, at that time, was like, oh my God, like this beautiful, like I didn't know you. And I was just like, mm-hmm. how do I not know you? Like your, your energy was everything. And then I started following you on Instagram and I was like... Everything is everything. Like everything about you was everything immediately. We had an immediate connection. Yes. And it was the Sag yeah, energy too, was. of course. Because we're just extra. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. But then what really, I think, intensified our connection was this past year when we were like, let's get dinner. And I was in the city. It was at the beginning of the year. Yes. And you spoke a word over my entire life at that dinner, particularly around abundance Mm -hmm. and allowed for my consciousness to be expanded, Mm. word of the day, beyond (laughs) what I even thought that I Mm. could attract, what I deserved, all of those things. Mm -hmm. It was interesting because I actually don't feel like I oftentimes meet someone else who will get me to level up just through a conversation. I feel like Mm. I'm often doing that for Mm. other people. You know, I'm like, that's what I do. I boost, I motivate, I encourage from this very sincere place. And you were just like, girl, and I was like, yes, yes, yes. And I just left like so happy and so thrilled to know you on this other level. So and I thank was in you. a huge shift too. And I think that when I was sharing with you all the things that you're like, yes, yes, yes. It was also me kind of putting out and maybe seeking affirmation. Like, am I crazy for thinking this, for believing this, for wanting this? And I think it was a mutual pouring into each other because oftentimes I'm one of those people who I dream so big. I don't like to tell people because they look at me like, relax. And so <laughs> when Lauren and I got together, it was really, I felt like I was in a safe space. I think I even showed you my bank account. <laughs> I saw. And I said, oh, new levels, 2020, 2019. Because 
I was going through a lot of yes. a lot of conversation with myself about abundance, yes. about ease, about money. Yes. As a black woman, as black women, we often either don't engage in it because it's like a taboo subject or it's a trauma filled subject or it's just something really hard for us to conjure in ourselves to even talk about money or acknowledge it yes. and 2019 was even though I didn't acknowledge it till probably this moment it was my money year mm. of like really grappling with what money was to me to other people and yes. I think that that abundance and I love that you and I met at the top of the year because it really solidified our friendship mm -hmm. and solidified how I mean Laura I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll have a voicemail from Lauren being like Rachel I was just thinking about abundance and so <laughs> so it's been such a great foundation like we tilled some some soil for us to really grow together yes and I value that yes I value it as well I value <laughs> yeah. you thank you and I'm just reflecting too on during that dinner you got me to put a mirror to myself and realize the things that we were touching on earlier in the meditation around enoughness and deservedness. So for you, you said this was your money year, your abundance year, and certainly it's only going to continue because you've laid this foundation. What kind of healing work, self-work have you had to commit yourself to around deservedness, around yeah. enoughness? Because as I mentioned earlier, as given to me by my spiritual teacher, Paris, you can't manifest what hasn't already been created. So what did you have to create? Beliefs around, like do the healing work essentially around believing that you could earn. And again, you're earning this coin for such profound and beautiful reasons. You know, her work, y'all, is is really affirming the humanity of black women, is really shedding light on how black women are here, have been here, and ain't going nowhere. Like, so much of your work is just all about us and affirming how we are progenitors of so much that oftentimes gets overlooked. So it's like, of course you should be supported in that work. And that's also counter to what oftentimes we think we can even earn money around, you know? A lot of what I had to understand and I had to lean into was just whoever was speaking earlier who said like, it doesn't have to be the way it's always been. We literally can say right now, it's different. And I think for me on a singular individual scale, I was saying to myself, before I got into this work, I was a nanny for families in New York City and in Washington DC, like very wealthy families. And there were so many things about how those people lived that was so far from even what I would have imagined people were able to do. And I think that the universe put me as a nanny in these spaces to see what was possible. And so I started cultivating what I was seeing that I had never had before. And I paid close attention to small things, like one really silly but somewhat profound example is that I was nannying for this beautiful Italian family in Brooklyn Heights and they had this vacuum cleaner <laughs> that I knew was wildly expensive but I loved using it and it just I don't I'm just like a cleany person like it was just it was it sparked joy in me <laughs> using that vacuum cleaner and this year I got my first one bedroom apartment uptown and I bought that vacuum cleaner <laughs> and I was like something like that where it's like this gives me joy, and I would have never known what a German vacuum cleaner does. But now I know that I deserve to feel that good while cleaning my house. And so giving myself the space to say, I come from 
the result of so much history of this country, and that's why my family has possibly been in this situation along with their own personal journeys. But I also give myself space to dream and imagine what could also be, whether my family understands it or not. So kind of just giving myself permission to dream, which we often don't because it's like, am I allowed to want a vacuum that costs this much? Am I allowed to want to rest on a Tuesday morning? Am I allowed, you know, things like that. So instead of asking those questions, which I used to, if you look at, I remember the first time I went to Martha's Vineyard, there's a post where I was like, am I allowed to be this happy? And I used to always ask myself that question. And now instead I say, yes, I'm this happy and here's what I'm going to do to maintain it. So yeah, that shift of giving myself permission was a huge part of it. And also cultivating the things that I had been seeing around, like being curious about what's possible and then saying, okay, I'm going to go for that. I hope y'all are taking notes. <laughs> she's giving you the formula. <laughs> and it's so beautiful. Something about what you just said sparked a memory in me, which is last year, maybe around this time, actually, a little later in the month after my birthday, I mentioned earlier that I took myself on a solo trip to Mexico. I felt so proud, right? I was like, I'm taking myself my first solo vacation. Nice. I am enough. I am deserving. Da, 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 da. But um, I at that time wasn't in a space where I was really honoring all my emotions. And so I was also suppressing a lot of things that I could have looked at and felt at greater ease, but I was like refusing Mm. to like really honor my emotional self. And so I came back from that trip feeling very depressed actually and feeling very anxious. My best friend was talking with me around like essentially connecting with my emotions and she gifted me this feelings journal she was like this mm. is what you write in this is where you write what you're anxious about this yeah. is where you name your fears yeah. your manifestation queen but yeah. you need to also be doing this yeah. and she said something to me she was like I don't want you to create this beautiful life and not enjoy it right right you know right. and I'll never forget that and I wrote it down and I got chills when I just said it right now and then you know so right now it's like what you're talking about in terms of being happy and owning it You know what I mean? I think part of that happiness is the self-awareness that we've both given examples of. And it's so crazy because while I was walking here from the train station, I stopped in a spot where literally two years ago, it might even be, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like to this day, I was walking down from the Italian family's house and I was crying all the way down to here because they needed me to go shopping for the kids' teachers. Like they needed me to buy the teacher gifts for the holidays. And I was crying because I had just read a book by a very prominent black woman. And I learned that she had way more privilege than I had understood her to have. Like I thought she was like a down black girl who really came up. But then I realized like, oh no, she had way more access than I'll ever have. And so I was really grappling like, is it possible for me to succeed? Or am I just viewing other people as my possibility, even though we have nothing in common? And I just remember crying and calling my friends and being like, are we wasting time? What am I doing? And like to walk down that same walk today in such ease, knowing that I was going to get to hang out with you and all of these beautiful people and just saying I had a complete breakdown two years ago, but I still kept going and giving ourselves that space to say what is hard, what is fearful, what doesn't sit well with us and then figuring out how do I chisel around that to build what I'm actually trying to build because often it's those breakdown moments where you're really able to just release everything and come back together and start again and it does not feel good. It wasn't like a flowery day where I was like you know what that was a good cry it was hard like me deciding is it worth it am I worth it really questioning so I think there's joy and self-awareness even if it doesn't feel good in that moment all the time 
Absolutely. I mean, you saying that there's joy and self-awareness, even if it doesn't feel good all the time, that gets me to think about my personal definition for happy, which I developed this past year, really the past probably about five or six months ago after I realized that for whatever reason, the word happy wasn't resonating with me. And I was like, that's a problem. So I'm going to create a definition that does resonate with me. And for me, it's the joy that comes from moving in alignment. Oh, yeah. Because sometimes when we move in alignment, it actually doesn't feel good. For sure. But that's okay. For sure. Because it's, it's an alignment. Necessary. Yeah, exactly. But it's the joy that comes. Yes. There are some joyful moments that come from it. Yeah. I wanted to talk with you about a word that you keep using, which is ease. Uh-huh. And I'm referencing your own definition from it, which you shared with us on Instagram earlier today. Yes. I think it's really beautiful for us to get clear, again, on language, because our words have power. We mm-hmm. all know this. Mm-hmm. And if we're just constantly calling something in or constantly saying we don't want something, we should be clear on how we're relating yeah. to those words, right? Yeah. So you shared that as you're stepping into 2020, Yeah, stepping into 2020, my three, I have three words, are ease, abundance, and opportunity. And ease, an emphasis on the softness of life. An emphasis on the softness of life. Right. Let's just dwell there. I like you saying it more than me saying it. An (laughs) emphasis. I'll keep saying it. Let's just talk about that. I've been really leaning into softness. I think as a black woman, we often are portrayed with these like hard edges, just trying to, and even like hustle culture and what else? Clothes that aren't comfortable, but we wear them because we think we're cute. Like those types of like, that feels hard to me. And when I woke up and put these yoga pants on this morning, <laughs> I really, I, I really have been honoring softness because I realize that I value it so much whenever I get it. And those are usually my most indulgent moments is when I'm experiencing something soft. So just waking up in the morning and say, how can I have a soft Sunday this morning. And my morning this morning was very lovely. I had a little CBD situation. (laughs) And then I just in the shower in the shower. Yeah, it was great. I highly recommend it. Um, (laughs) And then I just put on my headphones to a dope playlist. And I literally I live up on 173rd. I literally crocheted on the A train from 173rd to Dumbo. Like I was just vibing. It's really cute. (laughs) I was just like vibing and feeling good. The train was real empty because it's a Sunday I knew I was coming to talk to Lauren like being intentional about softness and not letting joy or softness or ease be passive I want passive income not passive ease tweet that okay (laughs) wow merch idea for Rachel Cargill's new shop amazing yes that's so beautiful just like that softness and even the word soft when you say it you know what things are soft for you So honoring and not just honoring it, but like forging it, going out and finding it everywhere. And I love that you were able to get into a state of reflection where you realize, what do I value? What feels good to me? Mm -hmm. And then you called more of that in. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when we realize what feels good to us, we're like, I don't have time for that. Yes. And one thing that I did this year was the first I had like a Team Rachel meeting. It was Team Rachel 2020. And it was where I brought in everyone who has anything to do with my success in 2020. My lawyer, my financial advisor, my business manager, my literary agent, everyone who had a hand. I put them around a family style table and I shared with them my highest values of ease, abundance and opportunity. Getting them on the same page. Getting them on the same page. And a lot of them make decisions for me. Like if an opportunity comes in, they say, yes, this is something Rachel would be interested or not. So I made it very clear that you all need to be addressing me through this lens in the same way I'm addressing me through this lens. So not only believing that I deserve it, but demanding it. And that, and, and the way that that meeting went, I mean, to have, I'm learning, <laughs> but people try to 
everything's so secret. And when I say I showed Lauren my bank account, it was because I was like, I don't want stress and anxiety around people knowing what I make or what I don't make. Here, sis, look what's possible. Right. And so I have been very vulnerable in my ease because if I don't, I risk it not coming. And so having all of my people in one room is like, I have nothing to hide and I'm gonna tell you all what I need and now everyone is in sync for 2020 and we're ready. That's phenomenal, that's, <laughs> yes. And that could also look like us sharing that with our partner, oh, absolutely. our family, absolutely. our friends. This is what's important to me. Hold me accountable and support me. Yeah. Can you? And what's yours? And you can say, yeah, and asking what theirs is and saying, if I see Lauren, for example, this year not making it, like, I'm like, that doesn't look like it fits into your rest and rejuvenation. Like, really providing a light for each other. But also, it makes it clear if my partner wants to go on a trip or something and I'm just not feeling it, I'm like, you know that doesn't fit into my values this year. So we're not even, there's nothing to push. And so I think it helps communication Good communication with others starts with communication with ourselves. If you don't have the language, if you don't have the understanding, then how on earth are we going to express it to others? And so really sitting and coming to terms with whatever it is and expressing it to the people, demanding it from the people around you. Ashe, I love that. The next thing that you are calling in is abundance, opening up to more of the things that really bring me joy. And I feel like we've already discussed that, mm -hmm. but what are the things that bring you joy? Mm. I love just space to be curious, like writing for Harper's Bazaar, I literally call and be like, this is what I'm gonna write about this month, and they really give me space to explore that. Um, yeah, just just curiosity really makes me happy, walking, getting off the train at a random stop that I've never gotten off at and seeing what's there and having lunch or something like that. Um, the ease really <laughs> gives me so much joy, but even saying something like, I'm allowed to crochet on the train and I'm allowed to not look at my phone for the next hour and I'm allowed to not answer texts for a few days and saying like that abundance. Ooh, I wanted to, I thought about this earlier while you were talking and I was like, Lauren, we got to talk about this. My understanding of abundance cannot be separated from my understanding of enough. And so one thing that I've been exploring a lot and I think exploring abundances also gives me joy because I've been thinking a lot about as I continue to grow in my career, as I make more money, what do I really need? I'm a single woman in New York City at this time. I get my clothes from Target. Like I'm not like doing any crazy stuff. I don't own a car. How much do I really need? And where can I find abundance in enough? And so I wrote in a recent Harper's Bazaar article about how I've been exploring and then I've been talking to my partner about it because the potential of us being together in the long run is what income do we need to feel ease abundance and opportunity to feel that joy and anything past that who do we want to give it to what do we want to give it to so if i know it living in new york i only need 100k cool let me call my financial advisor let me make a budget out of that 100k and i'll still work i'll still look for opportunities but anything i make over what's enough We'll go to my foundation. We'll go to helping my cousins pay their rent. We'll go to paying a girl's books for the college semester. And I'm really interested in exploring the idea of when we think of abundance, we often think of more, more, more. But I'm ready to think of abundance as what is enough. I love that. And I feel like that came up in the other Harper's Bazaar piece that you and Ebony Janice, yes. am I saying That's their name right? Yes. yes. Around this idea of kind of a capitalist way of thinking that then as black folk, we step into thinking that we can 
make billions of dollars, for example, and make it without the same logic that white capitalists white, white men made it which is on the basis of oppression and right. you know exploitation and, right. and to be real with ourselves if our goals of success mm-hmm. are by the same means as the white men who continue to oppress us that's not it right and we need to decide where do we hold value in making money for ourselves for our community what that looks like what it feels like right. and I guess that's my personal revolution against capitalist system. I'm not going to be stuck in a cycle of hustle culture just to get more. I don't right. need I don't need to be a billionaire. <laughs> right. I will never be a billionaire. Right. I don't need to be. And I'm not pushing for that. I'm right. pushing for my values. And my right. values have a space that keeps me comfortable and any excess yes. will absolutely be used for whatever other good. Yes. And for you to be consciously aware of that right now is so beautiful. Before, right? Yeah, it's before. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't reached that yet, but yes. it's definitely not far off. Yes. And for me to be able to set and say, this is the car I want. This is the house I want. This is the type of lifestyle I want. Cool. I'm happy with that. If it shifts, yes. it'll shift. Yes. But I can continue to, it gives me space to do my work without the capitalist lens of you're doing it for more money or you're doing it for more power or you're doing it for more whatever. I'm able to do my work because I do my work and everything else is taken care of. And that goes back to the enoughness. Yeah. And you're also not doing your work to prove anything. Right. Wow. Right. Like I don't (laughs) have nothing for y'all. Like I'm just out here doing my work. Yes. Yes. So (laughs) another aspect of your work that has led to greater joy and abundance not just for you that's the beautiful thing about our values right it can be something that we we get from it but it ripples out right is your work creating greater access and resources for black women to receive therapy Mm -hmm. i would love to hear you talk about the loveland foundation as i told you i discovered literally yesterday that my friend who's been raving to me about her therapist was like, oh, I'm so excited you're talking with Rachel tomorrow. It's because of her that I've been getting free therapy. I said, number one, you didn't tell me that. Like, that's so amazing. That's even more amazing. But like to know someone on a personal level that has been blessed by your work, that made me so happy. That makes me so happy. Yeah. I love when I hear from the people who want to talk to me about, I don't, I don't know any of the people, like I don't look at people's names or anything. So, you know, that's their privacy, but I do value when people come to talk to me about their experience. So basically what Lauren's referring to is last year about this time I was turning 30 and I said for my birthday I want to pay for therapy sessions for black women and it was because I was going through something and I had such a great therapy session and I literally left that therapy session like everybody needs this shit and I like (laughs) and so I literally remember walking into the first Starbucks I saw and creating the GoFundMe phenomenal like literally I was like this is what I want and the first night we raised ten thousand dollars first night and it was an incredible vision of what was possible mm-hmm. after that first night. So basically it was, at the time it was called the Therapy Fund for Black Women and Girls and my little naive heart and soul thought I was just gonna manage this myself. And we ended up over time, probably over three or four months, we raised a quarter of a million dollars. So. I started the Loveland Foundation because it's scary when a quarter of a million dollars from GoFundMe drops into your account. So I went out and I found, actually it was here. You know, it's so crazy. It was here at the wing. I was sitting over in the pit and a black woman walks up to me and she goes, Rachel, I just wanted to know who your PR agent is. And I was like, it me. (laughs) I am my my PR agent. And she goes, what? I can't believe you're doing blah, blah, blah. And she goes, I'm a philanthropic advisor. 
and I Look at guys. I wanted I know she's like and I wanted to know if I can help you at all and I was like yeah you can her name's Charlene she came on board and we built out a voucher system we built out our website we built out partnerships yes. um we created this incredible system so now how the therapy fund works we just finished sending out our first cohorts situation and we had over like 700 women sign up and in order to give the women four free sessions each we partnered with therapy for black girls dr joy we partnered with the national trans and queer therapists of color network we partnered with open path and talk space we created relationships with them and we negotiated with them can you bring your price down to this much in order for every girl to get four sessions and they all signed an agreement and so what we were able to do is send all of the people who signed up a list and say hey choose your therapist got options we got you yes Mm -hmm. and we wanted to give options because and one of the really important things about this is the sign up form for the therapy fund is literally what is your name where do you live? What do you need? I'm so tired of us black women having to continuously relay our trauma to feel like we deserve something. For the Loveland Foundation, just you being a black woman is enough. There's no hurdles. There's no cartwheels you need to do. You don't have to prove anything to me. And so that's one thing I really value about the foundation and how we're moving is that it truly is for black women. You don't have to meet any requirements for us to see you, hear you, and know that you're worthy of whatever it is that we're giving in any point in time. And the wild thing about that is that we were getting therapists who needed therapy. We were getting lawyers who weren't getting paid enough to pay for the high, crazy price of therapy these days. And so we were really opening the doors for real healing that didn't revolve around both proving yourself and then going through all the trauma of therapy, which is therapy like is really pulling so much out of you. And so, yeah, our first cohort just went out. Everyone got four sessions and we're just now getting kind of reports back. And oh, it's so amazing because a lot of the therapists who work with these girls said, okay, we'll keep the Loveland price for you. So if you want to continue forward, they're still letting them stay on at the price because the therapists are finding value in it as well. That is so phenomenal. Yes. On so many levels. A, that you created this from a place of your own awareness of how profoundly impactful therapy was for you. And you didn't overthink it. You didn't second guess it. You said, I'm creating this thing now. And then it was met with this overwhelming support. And then you continued to show up to this vision that at the time you didn't really know logistically how it was going to. Looking back, that was crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Like I was wild to be out here doing this, thinking that I was going to be fucking with the American healthcare system (laughs) on behalf of all my friends. (laughs) Like I'm about to get y'all free money and you're about to get therapy. And like, it's so funny because now I have a whole team. We have a board. We're working on a junior board. Like it wasn't even on my mind. Mm -hmm. And to see the manifestation of things, I feel like I'm manifesting things that aren't even mine to manifest. Like I'm manifesting stuff for my team members. I'm manifesting stuff for the women who are able to get therapy, for the therapists who have been waiting to talk to more black women. You know, like it's so beyond me. And I think it's part of getting older, getting out of like our selfish egos. The deepest values I find is when it has nothing to do with me. Wow. <laughs> and so this was a huge project on that, and I, I value it so much. Yeah. I mean, just because we've been talking so much about moving in alignment, and everything you just shared is so indicative of the magic of that and what is possible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about rest. 
Yeah. yeah. So I want to share something that you recently shared in okay. your Harper's Bazaar piece that's titled Rachel Cargill insists rest is the real revolution for black women. So you shared thinking of exhaustion also brings me back to my original question of us talking through what we do to fight back against systems, whether it's within ourselves or our community. And it's never easy, but giving myself permission to rest for a time. I felt that surviving as a black woman was my job. Wow. I felt like surviving as a black woman was my job, not being a writer, not being able to develop meaningful stuff. And so resting, writing for fun, just writing a silly story or just reading a novel instead of going through and feeling like I need to read every race book that's ever been written. So I feel more equipped to exist in the world. I just want to read books about puppies and flowers and sunsets. <laughs> I could ask probably any of our close friends about what they're reading. And I guarantee you everyone would have an academic book in their backpack. So let's unpack this because there was a resounding mm in the room when I read this and you're within academia and that is a very work 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 and prove yourself prove yourself prove yourself place and you actively resist the notion that that is the case so let's talk about it yeah, to speak to academia, just mm -hmm. for those who don't know, I was attending Columbia University and I left last semester because, like, no. And uh, <laughs> um, it's just such a, there's so much racist stuff in the foundation, in the walls, in the hallways, in the mouths of people. And so I just decided I'm not going to weather my body this way. Like, there's a million things that will exhaust me, and I won't let it be Columbia. I won't be paying them to exhaust me. I'm not. Doesn't make no sense. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't align with any of my values. So I got a lot of pushback for that. There are, like, whole Reddit threads, like, who does she think she is? She thinks she can call herself an academic and a scholar, but I had to go through six years of depression in order to get my PhD, and no one acknowledges my work. And it really, although it hurt me, any criticism hurts, so I was dealing with the hurt of that criticism but also saying like this is why I need to do this exactly like sis don't be upset that I'm not doing what you had to go through be happy that it's shifting and so I've been really defining for myself what it is that I want and need and expect of the world and Columbia just wasn't fitting in that and so it's interesting because as I've started existing as a public academic. It means I'm studying by myself. I'm currently doing one-on-one -on -one study with Imani Perry up at Princeton, and I'm like taking my own courses online and kind of learning what I want to learn. There's so much more depth than if I did it for whatever piece of paper Columbia was going to give me. And that goes back to that spaciousness and that mm -hmm. curiosity that you yeah. were saying you're so yeah. committed to earlier. Yeah, and it's serving so much more than just me. If I was just sitting in that Columbia classroom, it wouldn't look and feel the same. So yeah, as much as I'm demanding all that goodness, I'm also refusing to exist in spaces that I can viscerally feel are deteriorating me. I didn't want that, and I don't want that, and I've just continued to gain the courage to say no. And that is spiritually so profound. You said resisting putting yourself in those places that deteriorate your body. Mm -hmm. That's such a big part of We feel it. We history. feel it. I know. Like the physical experience. Like I was just mentioning in a post yesterday, when I see the police, my stomach hurts. Like I have a visceral physical feeling towards various aspects of existing in America. Yeah. And so I'm doing what I need to do to get myself out of those spaces because weathering is real. Like literally the nervous system of black women is deteriorating at 
incredible rates because of our constant coming in contact. So think about like furniture outside that the rain is hitting it, the weather is hitting it and it's getting weathered down. That's what's happening to our bodies with this constant contact with racism and microaggressions and things like that. And so I have tried to find every way, every nook and cranny I can find to give myself rest and respite from that reality. That's crucial. That's crucial. And I think too, with the work that you're doing with the therapy fund, it's like investing in yourself Mm -hmm. in those ways, because we oftentimes, those of us in spaces where we're holding space for others, Mm -hmm. we can feel guilty. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it's like finding the alignment. I'm doing this and you can do this too. And what I really love about the therapy fund is it's like, I'm not doing anything for anyone. I'm just offering space to do it. And so I'm so proud of the women who did sign up and I said, hey, here's a list, find a therapist that works for you. Tell us how much it costs and we'll pay for it. Like this wasn't like a savior situation. It was a sister situation. Like, hey, I got some resources. I have 300,000 followers who have now donated a quarter of a million dollars. Here's this, figure out how you need it. And I think there's deep value in trusting each other to do what that person needs for themselves and not saying like you should be on a yoga retreat right now but if that person says no I want to lay in my bed and watch Netflix that's probably what they need to feel rejuvenated and just holding space for each other instead of constantly trying to guide each other and I hope that I did that on a large scale with the therapy fund absolutely and it continues yeah So I know that you have a lot of very expansive visions about the future. As you look ahead to 2020, what are you most intrigued by, curious about, excited about? I'm excited about my partnership that started this year. I'm excited. (laughs) I'm excited for us to have like just a full year. We always say, I love existing with you. So like a full year of existing with each other in 2020 will be nice. I'm writing a book, and so I think really peeling back my own layers, bringing that curiosity in, and saying, first of all, I write Instagram captions. I'm very nervous about writing a full book. So like really pushing myself to see what I'm capable of. And then just after such abundance in 2019, I am more than ready to give myself space, just in a sentence, just space, (laughs) space to take a weekend trip or have the expensive coffee I want or take an Uber when I don't feel like being on the train, you know, loving on myself in more tangible ways than I've ever been able to. That's so beautiful. All of that, all of that. It's already done. It's already been written. I'm looking forward to 20. I'm really, I'm very much so looking forward. And knowing that I have my team, my team knows what's up. Yes. I know that I could be sleeping in on a Tuesday and my team's going to be going hard for me in whatever aspect they're doing. Right. Because I know they know the vision. So I'm just so overwhelmingly grateful for this space that I'm in. And I'm ready to leverage it for more things in the future. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I want to open up this conversation to the community as well. We'll come around with a mic. Um, Anything that Rachel said that we've been talking about that you're just like, let's talk about this. Let's, yes. It's just a quick question. You keep mentioning you can't manifest something that hasn't been created. And for me, I thought manifesting was creating something. So can you explain what you mean by that? Absolutely. I love that question. So again, I feel like I've mentioned her so many times. That's because she's been very profoundly influential on my own spiritual development this year. But Paris of Do the Healing Work has really been my teacher in regards to that. So 
my belief is that we have the spiritual realm and then there's this realm that we're all looking at each other in right now, right? So there are so many belief systems that we've attached ourselves to, right? Consciously and unconsciously. I am beautiful. I believe that I have to work hard in order to make money. I want a husband, but maybe the husband that I know in this realm ain't shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So Probably. Like, I'm literally saying I want a husband and my belief about a husband has all this yeah, baggage. Yeah, in it. yeah. So in order to, again, going back to the affirmation thing, which I said, like, I don't really say affirmations anymore unless I know wholeheartedly I'm in agreement with those words and I'm clear on what those words mean. So let's work with the husband thing. If I'm just like, I want a husband by the time I'm 32. So I'm saying this and I'm moving in alignment with this, but I haven't examined what I actually believe a husband is because, you know, I saw my mother married to my father and I saw the dynamic of the relationship based off of X, Y, Z. And like, I've seen other representations of husbands and I just believe that they ain't shit. <laughs> you know, I keep on using that, but like that's, yeah. can all I, think, I feel like you and I have means. talked about that before. Yeah. And so, you know, allowing ourselves to give ourselves the space and the curiosity rather than the judgment and the shame and the guilt around unpacking what our beliefs are and then moving from a space of clarity of like, I know what a husband is for me, or I know that I deserve to have a thriving career, but I work 30 hours a week instead of 60. Or I know that I I'm crystal clear on what I want my family dynamic to look like. And it doesn't have to have trauma. It doesn't have to have pain. It doesn't have to have us screaming at each other all the time, whatever. So whatever it is for you, it's like giving yourself the space, the time, and the commitment to doing the work, to unpack, to unlearn, to create that clarity. And then from that clarity, again, move in alignment. That's the theme of the day. Move in alignment. I just want to throw into that something that my foundation is doing that my lawyer on the team developed and now we're implementing it at the Loveland Foundation for the first time, we have a requirement for companies to donate to us. Like, we don't want your money unless you're in alignment with our values in some way or you show us that you're going that way. So to say, you know, you can't manifest what doesn't already exist, it didn't exist yet. We, my lawyer says this really great thing. It's Tuesday because we've all agreed it's Tuesday. There's nothing else telling us that it's Tuesday, literally, nothing. And we've all agreed that we should just take money from whoever gives it to us and be grateful. And so we're changing the narrative that until you, some examples for us are, until you acknowledge the indigenous land you're on, until you show us the, I, I wanna see photos of your board and if it's all white, we don't want it. So making these requirements that yes, this didn't exist, but we're manifesting good money, and so we're creating it. We literally just made it up in our minds and decided this is where our value is. So I think to speak to the question is, you can't manifest what doesn't already exist. It exists in you. It's not like exists in the world. And you can create in you whatever it is that you want. I love that. Does that help? Beautiful. Thank you for that question. I'm sure others had it too. Yeah. And then we'll go back here. Thank you all for your questions. Hi, how are you? Lovely, how are you? Um, my name is Shakira, so I am approaching my 30th birthday in January. Yay! Capricorn, yes, Capricorn. <laughs> and just kind of one of the things as I'm ending my late 20s is one of the things I kind of am preaching to myself is if it stresses me out, let it go. Mm -hmm. The dirty dishes in the sink, let it go. Mm -hmm. Laundry isn't done, let mm -hmm. it go. You know, like mm -hmm. you said, take an Uber because you don't want to do those 12 flights through the subway. Yep let it go. 
but just also I kind of wrestle with the guilt of not doing enough. Mm. Like, is just waking up in the morning, getting to mm. work on time, eating a healthy lunch, mm. is that enough? Yeah. And one of the things my sister said to me one day was like, because I'm like, you know, I work in fashion. I said, I'm not helping people. I'm not doing mm. anything. I'm just working for a business. And she said, mm. you being happy every day yeah. helps other people. Mm-hmm. So dealing with that guilt of putting myself first, taking care of myself, and then kind of letting everything else follow. So how do you deal with that self-guilt when you feel like you're not doing enough? That's so hard, especially for black women. And I'm so happy to be in the wing not talking about whiteness right now. <laughs> but, because <laughs> my, my work is usually around race, but in alignment with what we've been saying is that you creating your own understanding of productivity If I know that my rest is on my to-do list and all I did was sleep all day, then I've been productive. I did my to-do list. And so really pushing against capitalist ideology of you're only worth what you produce. That's not true. You're worthy because you're here. What you produce is extra. And so we need to start separating our production from our worth. And so when we feel guilty, it's really us saying, I don't feel worthy of rest. But when you separate, my production doesn't equal why I deserve to rest. So that's a whole nother thing. So just defining your own understanding. And one, there's a book, and I can't remember it, but I'll say it once it comes to my mind. But there was a um, activity where it said, what is your work? Literally, and not even like a spiritual, like what work are you doing in the world? But what are the things that you consider work? Write them down. Her name's Marley Grace, and the book is called How to Stop Working or something like that. I'll, I'll find it. But her name's Marley Grace, and she's a wonderful person who her book really explores what our understanding of work is. So when I made a list of what work was, work for me is reading a few chapters of an academic book every day. Work for me is an Instagram post today. That can be work for me. And so after you write down what your work is, decide when you're working and when you're not. And let that be that. And so defining your own idea of what productive and production is and separating it from your worth. That has been really revolutionary in me allowing myself to rest. That's beautiful. All right, coming over here. Thank you. Hi, my name is Rahima. I am very excited to be here. So my question is about your time at Columbia. I received my graduate degree there, and I'm currently working as a research project director. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, But it is a very, very, very toxic environment. It is. From, like, the manipulation, I've been impacted physically, mentally, to the point Mm -hmm. where, like, I can't even apply for other jobs Mm because I'm so, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. paralyzed Mm -hmm. by it. So I think my question is, how do you move past that fear of (laughs) or gain the courage to move past that? and actually like exit the toxic environment. I have to acknowledge my privilege in this space of that because part of the ease of me leaving Columbia was me seeing my career taking off. And so I was like, I, it was a decision of me seeing, I could do more work in this realm than I'll ever be able to do in Columbia or with a degree from Columbia. So that was a part of it. But also, using those same words for you, where can I do my best work? And I want you to define your best work as both what you would do for the world based on your own passions, but also your best work for yourself. And 
clarity. When you have clarity, like I do not belong here. And that kind of gives you the motivation to say, well, what is possible? And it doesn't have to be immediate. You can spend time really journaling for weeks about what could I be doing with what I know and the skills that I have and my network that I have and the understanding that I have about what's possible. We need to be in more conversation with each other about these things because we often can feel so alone and so isolated. And I often say one of the biggest forms of therapy is just sharing with each other because the moment you can say, oh my gosh, I was not the only person who felt that way, that ignites worlds of possibility because you have confidence in just knowing you're not alone. So I would encourage you to be in conversation with other black students in your program and be like, how are y'all feeling about this? What things were you all thinking about in terms of moving out or what work we want to do within? And also me leaving Columbia was my work, but for some people they're like, no, I'm staying and I'm doing what I need to do here. And that's okay too. It's just us each having individual clarity on what we need. And I think all of the confidence you need will be once you have clarity about what you want to be doing, what you're meant to be doing, and then you'll be able to kind of be like, okay, well, the next step is this, the next step is this, and you can start pursuing those. And ooh, I wanted to bring up, I rented this book, it's called, um, Can You Grab the Book on the Table? It's like red, and it talks about fantasy, and it has a lot to do about manifestation, but this is like more of a, a psychologist who wrote about fantasy. And I think I have been a fantasizer my whole life. <laughs> and so I want Girl, to- Girl, I recently had an experience that showed me that I was Did too. It? And it's brought me at like a new level of joy. So I'm I'm about to read this. So book. I picked this up. It's called By Force of Fantasy, How We Make Our Lives. And I think it's just another conversation about manifestation. Let's talk about like a sexual fantasy. You know what's about to go down. And you fantasized about it. You thought about what it would feel like. And you literally, when that person walks into your apartment, you're going to start moving in ways that begin to bring that into fruition. So if you like, you know what, as soon as they come in here, I'm about to sit them on the couch. You're going to, when they walk in, you're going to start moving towards the couch because you've already fantasized what it's going to be like. So for me, I've fantasized this life for so long, I couldn't not move this way. I have journal posts from or Facebook memories, that's my favorite thing to go through Facebook memories. And I'll see something that said, I can't wait to have a sunlit apartment in Manhattan. That's what I wake up to every morning because there's no way I was going to go look at apartments that didn't include that because that's all I'd been thinking about. And so that's what was coming to fruition. And so fantasizing, manifesting, which I think just really dreaming so hard that your body has to move that way. Were you here earlier during the meditation, the talk? Okay. okay. So talk to someone and get some cliff notes on the activity that I guided around envisioning, mm -hmm, fantasizing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also the writing prompts related to it. It was only a taste of what I do for like an hour yeah. on my own, yeah. like laying down, just yeah. literally envisioning situations in my life, envisioning everything, relationships, yeah. homes, experiences, and it's really profound that, like you said, you're telling your body, you're telling your brain, you're telling your spirit what you desire. It's like when you get a new red car and all of a sudden you see that car everywhere. You have to know it so deeply that you see opportunity for your particular dreams everywhere. The ease isn't in like, oh, I'm such a great person, I figured out how to manifest it. It's like, no, nah, I've been working on this since I was seven. And now I move in the way that I dream and nothing else can come out of that but 
what I had been dreaming of. Yeah. Also, you shared the word paralyzed, which is such a strong word. And my guess is that the paralyzation is from both the trauma that you've experienced there, but also because you quite literally right now, they've robbed you of your imagination. Yeah. That toxic environment has robbed you of your imagination of what else is possible. So start to dream about what's possible and you will start to feel different things, which is going to be so amazing. And that's why all of those people who were like, why would Rachel think she deserves to not have to go through the PhD process? They can't even imagine that and for me now I've lectured at Harvard I've lectured at Yale I've lectured at Berkeley I've been called into huge tech corporations to lecture and I don't a lot of people think that I left a PhD program I do not have a bachelor's degree I left like I don't have a degree at all and I'm still honored for what I give to the world because I imagine that it was possible yes thank you with the baby hi um I met you very quickly this week I remember I'm Candace this is Marcus. <laughs> he came this year. I'm a musician, and I have some of those degrees that we're referencing. And uh-huh. I just want to share like, and affirm what you're saying, because you know, even with the degrees, we are always going to be in the pursuit of self-definition. Mm-hmm. It's like our heritage. It's our future. It's our way. And um, my questions are, so I'm a musician. I had a similar shift for myself that I self-elected to stop singing other people's narratives and start being a composer and producer and that's my year in 2020 yeah but also what are the stories that you associate with finding your own voice Mm. the like one or two key stories and what stories are you super excited to hear black women tell more of like you know on the line of fantasy and and narratives I love that come to my house and let's do this all the time (laughs) so some of the key stories that gave me my narrative and were part of my fantasizing, I guess, were my mother has polio. She's had polio her whole life. And I remember she, I played soccer super hard all through high school and my mom walks on crutches. And so when it would rain, she couldn't get to the field because her crutches would sink into the grass. And so my mom started a petition to make them build a sidewalk from the car parking lot to the field so that she could get to my games. And I remember thinking like, mom, the entire city is not about to build you a sidewalk. And they did. (laughs) Like there is still a sidewalk to this day going from the parking lot to the soccer field in green Ohio because my mom wanted to be there to see me play soccer. And for my mother, a woman with a disability to advocate for herself And she was only thinking about what she deserved. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. My mom was really like, I deserve to see my daughter play soccer and the weather shouldn't deter me from being able to support her. And so my mom feeling so deeply that she deserved a construction truck coming to the field and pouring out concrete for her to see me play for what was probably only going to be, what, a year or two? And that you deserve to have your mother there yeah, supporting yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And so to, oh, I'm getting emotional because I'm, I'm going, my, my mother now, yeah. uh, so polio, you know, happened way back in the 50s and now they didn't know what it would look like in older age. And so there's something called post-polio syndrome now and my mom's really going through it. So I'm moving back home for 2020 and my mother and I are getting a little two-bedroom apartment together so I can help her rest. And this is the first time she hasn't taken care of anyone in probably 40 years and so I'm really joyful and grateful that now I have the means to be like I got us on rent 
let's just chill, rest, wake up late, I'll make you coffee, let me tell you all this New York stuff and excitement. Let's use my new vacuum, mom. That <laughs> so, vacuum. So things like that. Um, so that was a big, seeing my mom get infrastructure put in for her benefit because she thought she deserved it was a huge part of it. But then the stories that I'm looking forward to here are stories of indulgence. As black women, we just, there's two things. As black women, we feel like we're not allowed to indulge, but particularly me as an activist, we think that activists, scholars, public servants have to be downtrodden. We're like, you can't be happy and fight the fight. And I'm changing that narrative. I refuse. And so I demand money for my speaking. I demand money for my writing. I demand, I mean, if you follow me on Instagram, white women aren't allowed to ask me questions until they pay me first. Like, I'm not giving my emotional labor. I'm not giving anything of myself that I don't feel like I'm getting the value of it. And so with that, as I continue to open myself to this financial security, I want to be able to call and be like, I just, oh, this is a good example. I'm going to West Africa with someone who I met through Lauren, and I'm so excited. We went last year, but, and I had a great time last year, but this year, I was like, I'm going first class. I am buying a first-class ticket. And that was indulgent. And I remember when I first did it, I was like, am I allowed to tell people that? Like, am I allowed to buy a first-class ticket? And am I allowed to both fight for racial rights and fly first-class? And I'm like, yes. And it's because that also is a narrative of, it was a Tuesday narrative, just because it's Tuesday. Just because activists have always been activists and always have been not allowed to have wealth or have resources. Martin Luther King should have been flying first class everywhere. Why weren't we giving that to him? Not comparing myself to Martin Luther King, but the fact that we have people, anyone, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a public, whoever's working in any office for us, they deserve that type of support. And so I'm rewriting the narrative of what activism means for me in my life. And it means that I have the ease, the abundance and the opportunity to do my work well. Yeah. That's beautiful. I resonate so much with what you said. That was such a beautiful question. Yeah. I wanted to touch on both of the questions as well. So the aspect of like really owning your voice and like owning what you have to offer to the world. So for me, my mother is also such a huge investor <laughs> in everything I'm doing now and how I show up in the world. And one thing that um, she did very early on was put me in into different extracurricular activities, but there was no attachment to like, you have to stick with this for the rest of your life. There was the, be yeah, curious. Yeah, my mom too. And when you want to switch, switch up. Oh, you want to do that? It's so funny because I figure skated for like six years when I was young. My grandmother actually put me in that when I was in kindergarten. And my mom just like continued and encouraged it forever. And I got mad at one of my teachers in like fifth or sixth grade because they wanted me to take this whole lesson over again. And so I spoke up like against them, I guess. <laughs> I was like, I'm mad. And I quit. And my mom was like, okay, cool. What's next? Right. And some years later, I actually got upset about that because I was like, you should have made me stay in it. Cause I could have been in the Olympics. Like, I was so dramatic, <laughs> but I also really loved yeah. figure skating. So I was honestly like, yeah. I could have been so good, but only now as a 31 year old woman, have I been unlearning what it even means to be good at something. And what I mean by that is like, it goes back to the unconditional love and support piece, which I keep coming back to because it's so potent in my life right now. Like I love myself for who I am, not for what I do. Right. Right. And I am loved by others for who I am, not for what I bring into their not lives. What you produce. Yeah. You know, and that's unconditional. That's yeah, like point yeah. blank period. That's not like, Oh, but if you do this, no, it's like yeah. just is. Yeah. And so reflecting back and realizing that my mother allowed for me to use my voice to be supported in using my voice and then channeled my gifts and my talents and my like, 
young, you know, energy into something else just because. Yeah. Not because it was going to eventually yeah. bring me to the right, right, right. You know? Yeah. And that's really profound for me. I love that. Yes. Right here. Hello. I'm Paula. I also figure skated for like eight years. So I love it. Seen. Can <laughs> we go? I, Central Park Let's is open. It. I love it. <laughs> there's actually, um, there's a program in Harlem called Figure Skating in Harlem. Yes, I saw. Yes. Yeah, my, my little sister's in and out. Yay, little cousin, I love and it. they have a skating party in February. So. Oh my God. Okay, I'm so sorry. Can we throw out other organizations? I found there's a rowing program in Harlem for like row for girls I think oh, wow. any gender to um do rowing and throwing that out there go ahead <laughs> adding to that there's also a program called Harlem Grown about there's like a farm in Harlem and they teach children about like sustainable Love farming and anyway so all side okay <laughs> so my main question was in terms of being an academic and kind of like choosing a different course for yourself I feel like for me in undergrad, I studied communication and sociology, and I strayed away from African studies because I felt like a lot of it was just constantly re-traumatizing yeah, myself yeah, yeah. in order to yeah, yeah, yeah. learn. And there was no, like, not like solutions. Positive. Yeah, there was no solution. I hear you. Like, I remember taking gender and slavery and then reproductive justice the next day, and then I was like, okay, class dismissed, and I was still sitting with yeah, all those yeah. thoughts and experiences and not yeah. having any like I didn't have anywhere to put that yes I didn't know what to do with that and earlier this year I was because I have African parents they're like okay so masters when is that happening so they were kind of pressuring me to like pursue my masters I was trying to like go about the process and I had done so much work to really ground myself and I feel like trying to pursue my masters or do anything academic that would be seen as valuable or validated outside of myself completely took me out of alignment. But I still care about academics and I still want to learn more about the diaspora and learn more about my culture. So my question is, how have you framed your work and framed your study in a way that isn't just constantly re-traumatizing yourself and constantly like focused on trauma? Yeah, one thing is a lot of my learning I've been doing with activists and not academics. So what you were saying, the feeling like we have all this information and we're literally talking about it and going to dinner. So engaging with activists who are on the ground dealing with those issues will bring you hopefully more ease in saying, okay, this is what I've been learning and this is what's being done. Or even when you learn it, like say you read a book that does bring up those feelings of like, okay, now I know that this is what's going on then I do the work to find a grassroots organization and then learning more about it from them. So making the connections I need to make for it to be valuable learning for me. Um, but also there's such a hierarchy in academia and like, oh, I can't learn from anyone but the professors. You know, unless you have tenure, you're not a real teacher. And I've been pushing against that by I mentioned Dr. Frazier in my Harper's Bazaar piece, but she and I met just a few weeks ago and we were sitting there talking about the things that we cared about, the things we wanted to learn, the authors we were interested in reading. And we're like, you want to get on a call every two weeks and really break down what we're learning and what we're understanding, which is really what we do in the classroom anyways. And so learning from my friends saying, okay, I'm ready to learn about ecology. Let me call up Chelsea and let her tell me what book to read and then say, hey, we actually did a barter. Chelsea and I did a barter system. I was helping her develop a program that she's doing and she's reading through ecological books with me and I'm learning and she's gaining so really building those relationships for both people to get what they need is also an option because there's intentionally a hierarchy in academia because it pushes capitalist culture that's it that's all it, there's no real depth behind that and so for us to take 
control of our learning because all we're doing is reading a book and talking about it that's what a classroom is you can do it on your own you can do it in your own ways and um, be meaningful in your own ways so connecting it to an activist organization a grassroots is a really good and then just learning with your friends being like are you into this let's read through these next three books talk every two weeks let's all write up a paper let's all write up together our different viewpoints and see if we can get it published somewhere you know something like that so it doesn't have to be in these stressful states. There could be deep joy and activation in what we're learning. I want to say too, your question is like exactly what led me to self-care and yoga. And then that led to Black Girl and Om. <laughs> so I was in grad school. Um, my first year, I went through the experience of being alone for the first time in my life, like literally in this white conservative town in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. And even the black folk that were around me, it wasn't like my people, you know what I mean? I was like, where are my people at? And I went through this breakup with this person that like, wow, why was I so like, sad? Wow. I have so many, wow. Like, you know when you're like, why was I so sad <laughs> about happening? that person? Wow, but I was. And so all of those things, and I was studying a lot of black culture, black feminist thought and practice, and a lot of it was heavy as well. And so that all propelled me to the yoga studio for a very practical reason to release. I wasn't like all about yoga, which is so funny now, because I am. <laughs> I was going because I was like, this is way less costly than getting a massage, you know? And so let me just do this. And it was that that sparked everything in me and that led me to thinking about holistic care for Curiosity myself. again. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, allowing yourself to figure out the kind of container for care that you need while you are studying things that can be heavy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hi, my name is Hi. AJ. I came up here from Boston specifically because you were going to oh be gosh, here. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. So I'm really excited to be here, but also hearing a lot of the things that everyone is saying, but specifically going back and forth between capitalistic structures mm -hmm. and trying to build generational wealth mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. it's going to take a long time to catch up. I won't be able to see it, but I'm trying to lay that foundation now as a therapist working predominantly with generational trauma and touching on like black and brown families mm -hmm, and helping mm -hmm. them reestablish and redefine things. Mm -hmm. All of that's like really heavy, really loaded. But my question for you is how do you balance capitalistic structure that has a hierarchy where our culture is more communal and collective as opposed to individualistic how do you navigate that between academia and also the reality that that system wasn't designed for us but we are trying to navigate it and it's hard. Yeah, it's so hard. And I think one of the biggest things we could do is talk to each other. I think we have so much shame and so much heaviness. And we always feel like we're burdening each other. I went to brunch with a friend yesterday. She goes, oh, I just went through this breakup. I didn't want to text you. And I'm like, why would you not text me? I want to hold you in this moment. And we often think, if Lauren called me, it would be nothing for me to pick up and listen to her. But for whatever reason, I would feel like, oh, but I shouldn't call Lauren. Like, we have these ideas. We don't give each other the space to love us <laughs> and we need to because the truth is if my friend called me I would love on them why wouldn't they do it for me and we need to let go of this feeling like we're a burden to the whole world including each other and I think these conversations to answer you I don't know the answer but I think that the beginning of the answer is us sitting in rooms like this and saying you know we're all going through this let's dream up what's possible and then start moving and 
talking, for you to be a therapist and listening to these conversations, you're probably hearing things that have been repeated by family after family after family. And you're like, wait, this is happening across the board, but no one's talking about it. We need to be in more trusting we need to be more vulnerable with each other and it's hard because the world is wild and it's hard to be vulnerable but find your people and start being in conversation because i think when we just give ourselves the space to release what we're holding on so tight to we open our hands to be able to make moves and so communicating with ourselves so that we can communicate with each other and start dreaming about what's possible from there yeah, and all those hierarchies, it's also dreaming, like, what does it mean for me to walk onto Harvard's campus and say, I'm going to lecture to a whole bunch of grad students, even though I don't have a degree? I had to imagine that. And I had to say yes when they invited me instead of me being like, oh, I'm sorry, you guys think I have a PhD. Because it was so funny. I walked into Harvard. She introduced me. She goes, Rachel has her PhD. And I was like, I don't. And it was a moment of her being taken aback, like, oh, shit, we done brought her in here. And she got her PhD. And like... For that to be a possibility and for me not to be shook by that and being like, yep, you're right, now let's get into it. We just have to give ourselves space. Just give ourselves space. End of sentence. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming up here for me. (laughs) And I think that goes back to the whole creating before you can manifest everything you just said. Having that clarity. Absolutely. There was someone back here, yes. And someone all the way in the back. We'll get to you, I promise. Uh, hello, my name is Millie. I'm Hi. also really excited to be here. I feel like everything that's being said I in this too, room excited. is just like having me vibrate with full energy and that. excitement. So I'm really glad to be here. Um, my question was pretty much on a similar strain of um, we're not in silos. We live in communities and yeah. I guess different perspective. I'm coming from an immigrant family where I'm like the first generation American. Um, I've been struggling with trying to find what works for me, what I want to do, what's successful for me but also playing my role as the good daughter of Honduran parents. So I guess I'm wondering how does one balance that? Because whatever what success looks like to me and whatever yeah. I would like to enjoy might be different than my family expects. Or even if it is aligned, I often battle with like, there's an expectation for me to give all of myself to them because yeah. that's what they put me here for. Yeah, yeah. And I know I guess intelligence wise like that is not true but it's Mm -hmm. also the truth Mm -hmm. that I live Mm -hmm. in so I don't know if you have anything that to speak to that I'm not a daughter of immigrants but I do see the lens that you're coming from from my friends and seeing their experiences my mom couldn't care less what I was doing so I have a very different perspective my mom probably still has no clue what I'm doing (laughs) Um, and I hate to say the same thing but I really think that you getting clarity on exactly what you, and it sounds like you do have more, you're like, my parents want this, but I have a better idea of what success would look and mean to me. And just practicing talking it to yourself so you can start to communicate it in small or big ways, whether it's to your parents or to your boss or to your friends who aren't in alignment in some way, to say like, I hear you and I value what you're trying to give to me, but this is what I'm experiencing, so here's what I'm gonna do. So like, I know that you want me to be successful and I see that you see success as me getting my master's degree, but for me, that would be very traumatic due to what I'm learning. So this is what I'm gonna do to get into a space where I feel really good and successful and I can only hope that my joy will also be yours. And just getting clarity and language to have those conversations, both with ourselves and with the people who are part of our world. And you deserve to be heard. Um, We're gonna go to the back. You've been so patient. I know. And then we'll go over here. 
Thank you for being here. You too. I'm just gonna read a question. Um, how do you allow yourself to decipher the difference between trusting the process and knowing what doesn't align for you? So to give context, like personally, I'm an undergrad right now, thinking about law school mm -hmm. and implementing wellness into the practice. Mm -hmm. And this is very much so kind of like trailblazer, kind of me dreaming big. Yeah. And I don't know if it's like self-doubt or necessarily like, oh, is this an alignment? And sometimes the mm. things that you have to go through to gain alignment and perspective is not always, you know, rainbows and the yeah, unicorn. Yeah. So like trying to understand the difference. It sounds like a lot of imposter syndrome, too, mm, or yeah. ideas that I don't deserve that or I shouldn't get that. And one thing that helps me is that if it was put into me to dream it, like you said, there's no blueprint for this. So I have to trust that if it was dropped into me to dream it, that it's available for me to do it. Like I just have to trust that because there's a reason why. I always say I am not a special person. Like I'm not, I'm not like wildly intelligent. I'm not outlandishly unique. I'm a black girl from Ohio who decided to dream and do it. There's zero difference between me and anyone else in this room besides my ideas, and I'm sure there's other people who have walked in the same way that I have in the world, there's nothing different besides the, the courage or the push or the curiosity I had to see what was possible. And sometimes I failed so bad and I look dumb all the time. And when I get on the phone with my financial manager and I'm like, can you define every single word you just said in that last sentence? Being willing to be vulnerable and look silly for the greater good whether the greater good is for me or for you know my community but don't feel silly about that dream don't feel like oh is this self-doubt is this what like if it dropped into you it's worth pursuing and i promise you even if it doesn't work out you will have learned whatever you needed to learn from that process also don't put your value in completion because oftentimes so much of what we need is in those processes so a lot of the anxiety we feel around those things are like imposter syndrome, feeling silly, thinking I should be doing something else, but get that clarity. Say, I wanna do this, this, and this, and I'm gonna try it, and if it doesn't work out, I'll be fine. Trusting myself, flexing my courage muscle, working it out has been the biggest value to me, and I was married very young from 19 to 23, and when I left my husband, we were driving BMWs, he had built me a custom house, I never worked because he made enough, but I was like, I'm not happy. There's so much more that I'm supposed to do in the world. Now I know what that was, but at the time I didn't know, but I knew something was supposed to be happening. And everyone looked at me like I was so crazy when I left that marriage. But me working that courage muscle, I always go back to, Rachel, if you could leave what everyone thought you were supposed to have, you can do this. So continue to give yourself examples of what you can do and reach back to them often. Yeah. I want to just underscore bold Everything she just said, yes, uh -huh. <laughs> times a million. Um, for me, too, seeing the vision, because like for me, I received the vision of Black Girl and Ohm very profoundly in a yoga class. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with this, you know? And the, the thing is, you just start doing with what you can, with where you are. And it's exciting to know that there's this bigger vision, but it also can be terrifying and can feel like a lot, like, where do I start? But the point is that you just start. And talk about it all the time. Yes. Because to I, everybody, to everyone, like, I, yes, I share stuff and someone goes, oh, I saw you talking about this. Yes. I can provide that for you. Yeah. But if you keep it to yourself and be scared, how are people supposed to see and support? Yeah. So something can't grow without light. So give it space. Yes. Yes. And it's interesting, too, how like 
talking about the journey is it. For me, literally last year during our five-year anniversary in San Francisco, I realized that the vision that I got literally five years ago and what I actually saw is actually the next chapter of Black Girl Now. So the vision that I got, without describing it in great detail, it seemed so big, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna do an iteration of that. But literally last week, I had this aha moment of like, that's actually the literal vision. And now the five years has laid the foundation for that to happen. But I never even realized that at the time. I was just like- you let yourself go through the process. Exactly, exactly. So you just don't know. So right now, like you said, you're still an undergrad, right? And who knows what's supposed to happen, but you got that vision for a reason to move in alignment with it now. And you can trust yourself. Mm -hmm. Be like, I'm a bad bitch. It'll happen the way it needs to happen. Yes, yes. Your Friday friend day. Ah, friend care Friday. You've caused me a lot of fancy lipsticks. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I just want to thank you. I've been doing it every Friday and it's such a wonderful feeling. Yeah, it is. So I just want to thank you. Yeah. So what she's referring to is I every Friday on my Instagram page, I do friend care Friday and I encourage people to literally just Venmo each other five dollars and say, I'm proud of you just because like not because of anything you produce, not because anything you gave me, not because anything you've done. I see you. I hear you. I'm so proud of you. And it doesn't have to be the five dollars. It doesn't have to be like a financial thing, but just a text, a hug, uh, send them a memory. Like, remember that summer in blah, 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 like investing and indulging in each other every Friday is my favorite thing. I've definitely received some some love from people in this room on those days. So thank you, Rachel. Hi, I'm Lorraine. I met you at the wing in SF when you gave your lecture. And this has been a whole different vibe. Right? I'm glad you got to that. It's different, right? (laughs) Um, So I have been thinking a lot about softness as well. And one thing that came up in my co-star app for me the other day was thinking about my personality as just this role that I play. And as Mm. I've had to go into rooms more often now, I just publish a collection of short stories. So thank you. (laughs) I've, I've been having to be extroverted a lot more than Mm -hmm. I'm used to. And it's been fine if I am dealing with people of color, right? I can be soft in those spaces. And I've been finding myself that every time I have to talk to white folks or to folks who want me to give them this like whole story of my life and like relive my trauma and all of that, like I become super, I feel myself tense up and I just want to be I'm just angry, right? So I'm, I yeah. just become angry. And I'm like wondering how you go in and out of softness, considering like the context and considering the audience, because I just saw you do it right. But also like, are there any tips or any of that good stuff? I'm really happy you got to see what she was referring to. I have a lecture called Unpacking White Feminism that I've done at I think every wing in the U.S. so far, but it's just exploring white women's complacency and white supremacy, and I usually do that to a room full of white women. That's my my main audience is white women who are learning from me about this intersection of race and womanhood. So I love that you saw me in both of those spaces, and I'm sure you're seeing a different energy than what I had there. But to touch on what someone said earlier is that As a black woman, as a woman of color, you existing with intention and joy is a revolution in itself in a country that was never meant to allow that for us. And so I hear you saying like you have to perform. And I think that that softness is part of your resistance to walk into a white space and be like, I see y'all are about to try to stress me out, but watch it not. 
and like coming in with a joy and a resiliency and a calmness that can only come from you understand having clarity about your values, having clarity about your work, having clarity about your worth, that stresses white people out <laughs> because they have always been the definers of how we exist in any space. Walking down a sidewalk, sitting on the subway, coming into co-working spaces, there's always been this definition of people of color exist in the peripheral around what white people are doing. And so I walk into rooms and say, this is mine. This is what I'm doing and you can vibe with me or not. And so. I was just thinking about my process of selling my book and Chelsea Johns, who's here in the room, she works for Simon & Schuster. And being in a room with a black woman while pitching my book was so different from being in a room with a white woman while pitching my book because I didn't have to both explain what it means to be black and tell them about my book. I could just come in and say, this is what I want to do. And so after that meeting, I went into other meetings like, why was I doing all that for, why was I performing for them? Why was I jumping through hoops to make them feel more comfortable in the room? I wanna say something and them go do research after and be like, what was Rachel talking about? And so letting your ease be your armor, let that be what you come into the room with as opposed to feeling like you have to perform because I hear that and I, that's part of my revolution is like, I can't tell you how many white women I've run into walking through the subway who just refuse to move, who refuse to share that space, you're just gonna run into me. Like I'm not doing this with you today. And so just taking up space and letting your ease be part of what you're coming in, that's part of your power. I really love that. Something else came to me too to offer, which is remembering that even when you feel like you're alone in those moments, that your ancestors are there with you and that they have your back, <laughs> truly. <laughs> the more that I have done a lot of research on my ancestors and then allowed for me just spiritually being like they're here with me, the more I have felt, like literally felt their support and have allowed for them to like speak through and for me in certain situations. And it's profound. It's like they've been there the whole time waiting for me to just be like, hey, you're here, you know, because clarity, that's yes, the word again. Yes. Clarity needs to be somebody's word for 2020. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's, it's many people's word, yeah. but yeah, it's just so profound to lean into them more. Um, one more, I think. Yes. Okay. Two more since I saw both of your hands. <laughs> Hi everyone. My name is Regina. And before I start, thank you both so much. I've been doing a lot of oops and yes. <laughs> I know you guys have been hearing that, but um, I'm just so honored to be in your space. And I love, Rachel, how you mentioned indulgence and demanding because I am in the wellness world. I'm a yoga instructor and I'm very empathic. And I have this tendency to not demand and when I have an intuition to speak up. Because for so long, I've been having not only this imposter syndrome, but this Stockholm syndrome of when I speak out, I'm labeled as an angry black woman yeah, or sure. you're a yoga teacher. You're not supposed to stand your ground or speak up. And so I've been around so many energies that would drain me and I will get so nervous to speak because I will self-doubt and say, I shouldn't say this, I shouldn't do this. And even comes to the point that even when I adjust white students, they will jump in fear. It's, yeah. it's weird. Yeah. And exchanging energies again with just so many people. And when I mention that, hey, I'm feeling this or I'm feeling that, a sense of uncomfortability. And 
you both are just so strong. Everyone in here is so strong. How are you able to navigate in a space and say, I am here, this is me. I'm gonna say what I have to say, no matter who disagrees with it, but not having that self-doubt, that Stockholm syndrome, that guilt that's been embedded for so long. Any rituals that you both do? Any tips that you can share to me? I think this speaks to something that Lauren mentioned and I hear you about all those moments and kind of what I said before, it's not easy and I don't expect anyone to deep dive in and be like, I'm walking to every single space every single time. I wanna challenge everyone this week to be introspective about when you're in a space like that and say, this is an opportunity for me to build a muscle, for me to build my courage muscle, for me to build my demanding muscle. And don't take it as a moment of victim, like I'm a victim in this space and now I have to react, say, wow, I got an opportunity to grow hardcore right now. So I see this moment and I'm gonna do a workout, a quick little workout right now in order to build this muscle. And you might not do it the next day and then you might do it the next day after. So give yourself space to continuously build little moments because one day you're gonna walk into a room and be like, I've done this so many times, I dare y'all to try to make me feel bad about being in this space. So trust yourself and give yourself space to work that muscle. Yeah, I have a ritual. So I have a prayer that I say to my highest self every morning. It's actually the green room turned into like the Kiki room and like all of the (laughs) team members and all the homies were like in there. And I was like, okay, y'all, like, can you leave before I start talking? Because I need to like do this thing. And that's what I did because I didn't have time to do it this morning. So essentially in the past even six months, I've gotten much more crystal clear on who I am. And for me, everything that you said got me to think about like, remember who you are remember who you are and when you remember who you are and stand in that you're unshakable and you might like sway a little but like you won't be knocked down you know what I mean so I literally speak this word affirmative word over my life every day that reminds me of who I am and that my highest self is always accessible to me so even in moments of like doubt or fear anxiety It's like, but remember who you are, sis. So you got this. And you are a resource and you are divinely guided. You're divinely supported to get this, you know? So that's a ritual that I can offer. I love hearing that ritual. In the same vein, I have been praying to my older self. I pray a prayer of gratefulness to my younger self. Thanks for getting me here. And I pray a prayer to my older self to say, here's what I'm going to do for us. And so I think it would be really cool when you walk into this space and saying like, what am I about to do for younger me who worked so hard to get me here? And what am I going to do for older me who is just waiting for all the goodness that I'm continuing to cultivate right now? That's another iteration of what Lauren was saying. So you got a handful of rituals now. <laughs> <laughs> Try them on, you know, rituals with any aspect of self-care. I think it's important that we remember like what might work for Rachel yes. may not work for Lauren, but I'm going to try it on. I'm going to see, and then I'm going to like modify this as I need. All right. Who was the person? Oh yes. And you're closing it off. I hope it's a good one. <laughs> no, I know it is. <laughs> Hi, everyone. It's me again. Um, so I love this space. I love how I'm feeling right now. It's very different than how I felt when I walked in. Like I walked in, I was like, I know I'm about to be so inspired on all of this, but like how I'm feeling right now is very grounded in all of everything that everyone's been saying. Um, this is not necessarily a question for you guys. I think it's a question for everyone. I love how I'm feeling in this space and I feel like spaces like this don't happen often enough. Like we all go out and we're on this journey that we think like we're all going through these things by ourselves. 
And I don't know if, if there is a space in New York where women of color come together and we talk, like, maybe not a book club, but, like, just a space that we come and we talk that anyone can share. Because if I can be in more spaces like this, I think it'll give me the muscle, that I'll work the muscle, mm-hmm. that when I go into the world and I have to be in all these spaces that make me uncomfortable knowing that I have a safe haven of women of color that I can always come yes. back to that aren't generally just my friends and just be like, girl, let me just tell you about all these experiences and yes. things that are going on. I know you said it wasn't for me, but I'm just going to Oh, if, I mean, if you have the answer. I want more dinner parties. And I don't need like linen. Na- Every single time Lauren and I talk, I'm like, Lauren, I'm doing a dinner party. Every single time she's tired of hearing it. I'm not. I'm just waiting for us to do <laughs> she's it. She's just waiting for you. I know. She's waiting for you to do it. I want to challenge everyone for 2020, host a dinner party. If it's not something that's in your financial realm, say everyone brings something. Literally, if everyone has a favorite food, if you're in California and you want everyone to like pick up their favorite in and out before they head to the house, just share space. And I've really been thinking, I would love to do like send an article to everyone and be like, everybody read this and before you come in, read it and we're about to sit down and just talk about it. Put your phones down, no pictures can be taken and just share time and space with each other. But even if you don't have that article or whatever it is, just say, hey you guys, I want you to think on joy. I'll see you on Thursday at my place from six to nine and we're just gonna like exist with each other with this intention of joy. And what you said isn't off for you to be like, is there a space in New York? Yep, there is your house. We often think that there needs to be this huge platform or it has to be Instagrammable or it has to be, you know, so-so. Literally invite five friends over for dinner and say, we're going to talk about resistance tonight. We're going to talk about our hair tonight. I have this dream about having a hair scalp greasing party where we all just sit, we wash each other's hair, and then we sit and just grease each other's scalp and watch Cinderella with Brandy in it. (laughs) That's like my personal dream. Yeah. Little things like that. Like, it doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be sponsored. It doesn't have to be anything. Just create those spaces because we're all here and literally meet five people today and say, what's your next weekend like? What's your weekend like in January? Let's choose one. Like, really do that, you guys. And tag me in it and let me know how these indulgent dinners or these indulgent gatherings are happening. Yeah, 100%. The question that you asked is one that we've actually gotten on like every stop of the tour. And I always encourage exactly what she encouraged, not a dinner party, but you create the space. That's what I did. When I started Black Girl Gnome, I knew like three people in the city of Chicago. Word of mouth spread quickly and it magnetized, my vision that I received magnetized so many people to it because it was so needed. And so yes, of course, there are phenomenal black women and women of color-led communities, initiatives, organizations. Black Girl Gnome, we pop up here, do things all the time. Heal House, an amazing space that centers, I think, people of color. It's co-founded by two black folk. Well-read Black Girl does book club meetups. You should kick it with them. There's so many people here that we can continue to shout out, but slash and it's always on us that when we feel this need for something that is oftentimes spirit speaking and saying you start this and it could be a dinner club it could be a meetup in the park it could be whatever it looks like but yeah it doesn't have to be sponsored it doesn't have to be fancy (laughs) it can just be you and that is enough that is more than enough and i think this is another space to separate rest from productivity there doesn't have to be an end game you don't have to say everyone leave with five ideas no one has to bring a notebook just rest together. The Nap Ministry, follow the Nap Ministry on Instagram. They literally do events where they bring black women together to nap, literally. And so, yeah, start separating what needs to be done from what you deserve. 
I love it. But ask the people around you before your way out so you can get more suggestions of the organizations. Invite them to your dinner party, all the things. That's a great question, though, to land with. Um, I also do want to mention that this is like super new and hasn't really been shared about that much yet at all. But we're actually on the verge of launching a digital membership through Black Girl and Elm. We have entirely new platform coming in a matter of weeks. And I'm so thrilled to release it. My team and I have been working very hard on this. So... Anywhere you are in the world, you can get plugged into this really supportive, literally this, (laughs) but online. (laughs) And I'm really just going to leave it there because there's a lot that we just want to release when it comes out. But we did provide a special code for the presale that's going on right now. And it's just going to be transformational. It's really um, a response to our community members for five years now asking, how can I tap into this on the regular, right? I would love, like previous Lauren, like Lauren in 2014 when I started Black Girl Gnome, I was doing like three yoga events a week. I'm like, what? I was working 40 to 60 hours outside of this and doing that. And I just don't even know how. But anyway, it's going to be a really beautiful space for us to breathe easy, like we've always been committed to, but really allowing for anyone around the world to tap into that because our community is global. So Rachel, I wanted to kind of give you space to share anything that's coming up that you want our community to know about and how people can stay in touch with you in your journey. The biggest thing right now is the Loveland Foundation is doing a huge push for uh, Giving Tuesday to raise money. Our goal is $600,000. That's what we're dreaming up. And with that, we'll be able to give our next cohort. We're doubling it to eight sessions. We're getting the feedback and everyone's saying, like, it's just not enough. It's just not enough. And we're like, we get it. But we need money to keep doing it in more ways. So if you have a company, maybe suggest that they match donations of the employees there. I'm really toying with the idea with the foundation because my whole team is black women. And we've been toying with the idea of our foundation having like auntie circles. I spent time in West Africa in Togo and all the tatas there really inspired me and how they, tatas what they say for auntie and how they inspire that community. And so I would love if like groups of women black women in particular, black women who now have the financial means to give back, to create Tata circles amongst themselves and say, who are we going to give to? How are we going to pour into our communities? And so the Loveland Foundation would love for you and your friends to decide that you want to invest in other black women and their therapy. So that if you watch my page, I'm Rachel.Cargill, you will see when we launch it. And we have videos. We did interviews with therapists who offered care during this last cohort. We have interviews from women who have decided to speak up about their experiences. And so It's going to be a very powerful opportunity to invest in each other tangibly. So that's in a few weeks. If you have if you have the means to, we'd love for you to pour into another black woman getting access to mental health. That's phenomenal. Thank you. Love L O V E L A N D, the Loveland Foundation. Which the love it's such a random word. In 2014, love was probably my word of that year. And I had said one day I'm going to have an umbrella corporation called the Loveland group and then I'm going to have this under it and this under it and this under it and so when this all came to fruition I honored my younger self by keeping that random ass name (laughs) that's so beautiful thank you and you have your book that is coming out oh that'll be a little while but when it does please pre-order as it will be very meaningful thank you (laughs) thank you let's give it up for Rachel Black Girl and Own creates space for women of color to breathe easy. 
Thank you so much to India Jordan, our audio engineer who made sure today's episode sounded fantastic. Thanks to Kali B for the amazing music at the top and the end of the show. Valerie Titus Glover, your continual support of our podcast through digital strategy, getting up our podcast audio descriptions and more is so forever something that we cherish. Our community, wow, y'all are so phenomenal. We couldn't do this show without you. And I want to encourage all of you who are super fans of the Black Girl Known Podcast, the guests on our show, and the topics that we cover to head on over to www.patreon.com slash blackgirlandown. You'll find out how you can get access to exclusive clips, bonus audio, and more behind the scenes of what we have going on here, as well as the ability to chime in and give your input to what you want to see here on the Black Girl Known Podcast. So head on over and check it out. Thanks, y'all.